He is an artist neuroscientist with synesthesia who has a unique view and experience of the world. He brings this experience to his medical practice. Rooted in his knowledge of human anatomy, osteopathic techniques, and understanding of the human condition allows his perception of the person to guide him to where and how he should treat. For him, osteopathy is this dance of two biological systems fighting chaos. While treating, he does his best to get out of the way, meeting the person where they are, listening to what the patient says, paying attention to nonverbal cues and being empathetic. He is an expert in acupuncture, using it as a means to help patients who manifest psychosomatic problems. He believes in the importance of breathing, sharpening your mind, healing your body, and bolstering your spirit as a way to help your treatments be more effective. He is a researcher pushing the specialty of OMM forward. Enjoy this dynamic and informative conversation with Dr. King Dio, an osteopathic healer. This is episode 101 of the Osteopathic Manipulative Medicine podcast, where we share clinical stories and pearls related to osteopathic medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Green, a third-year osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine resident at Michigan State University. And I am your co-host, Dr. Jordan Little, an intern also at the same program. Our guest this evening is a 2017 graduate from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. He completed his residency and is board certified in osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine. His patients gave him the nickname Dr. Golden Hands due to his ability to perform bedside OMM and relieve their pain without any medication. He has added to his clinical expertise by being the only resident physician in the country to complete a medical acupuncture fellowship at the prestigious Helms Medical Institute. During residency, he trained with private team doctors for the Philadelphia Flyers and Phillies. Currently, he specializes in treating and sponsoring professional Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes and Olympic caliber boxers. He believes that a doctor who is in tune with his hands and is aware of his patient's personal experience will engage in a more profound healing process. He helps his patients overcome acute and chronic pain by combining multiple therapeutic approaches, including medical acupuncture, prolotherapy, osteopathic manipulation, functional training, cupping, and proper supplementation. He is also a medical school professor at the Rowan Virtua School of Osteopathic Medicine and conducts and publishes research on the latest advancements in musculoskeletal medicine, as well as being the medical site director of the prestigious Rowan Virtua Neuromusculoskeletal Institute. Most recently, he was nominated and accepted into the Rowan Leadership Development Institute for his exemplary talents in organizational leadership and stewardship of the osteopathic medical profession. We welcome to the podcast this evening, Dr. Alex King, D.O. What's going on? That was quite the introduction. I hope I can live up to the hype here. Yeah, well, I'm sure you can. Thank you for being generous with your time and being willing to share your medical knowledge, your knowledge about OMM and kind of your career trajectory. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I think Dr. Little has a few introductory questions for you. Yeah. Dr. King, just to get to know you a little bit, um, if you had to describe yourself in one to two sentences, um, just some of the things that you think is most important for people to know about you, what would you say? 
Oh man, that's tough. Um, <laughs> what a way to open, right? I I would say, well, firstly, I'm I think I'm an artist who found himself drawn to osteopathy um, and and neuroscience as well, um, and really have a unique perception of the world, secondary to me having a synesthesia and using that to actually assist with how I can interpret sensory information and then use it to either create art to heal to to do really anything um so yeah i would say that i'm just someone who's lucky enough to do what he loves for a living and to impart some knowledge to the next generation of do's so all right i need to unpack that a little <laughs> bit. It's yeah. tell yeah. me more about that um, you know, it's an interesting thing is, is I actually, you know, thought I was a neurotypical person up until medical school. Um, you know, my mom's a child psychiatrist and she knew I was, I had ADHD growing up. I was non-medicated and she kind of reinforced me to do, um, music, art, uh, sports, all these things to keep occupied. So I didn't have to be medicated, but, um, I realized in medical school, that um, not everyone sees, you know, colors and perceives shapes and stuff with sound. And I, I just thought that was normal. And then I realized, too, that, like, I have a lot of sensory uh, sensitivities, such as, you know, light, like really bright lights, loud noises, things like that. Um, but I thought that was just kind of normal until, you know, learning about synesthesia in our neuroblock. And I was like, wait, I, I have this. And I was like, I was asking other people, I was like, wait, you don't? perceive things like this and they're like no dude what are you talking about um so and i realized too i use that throughout my whole life to actually create art and i you know i've been doing art since i was about three years old you know are always in private art classes and majored in it in college got a scholarship for it in college so i just thought it was i was just kind of expressing myself through my perceptions of sound typically i listen to music when i create so music really kind of supercharges my perception and ability to express things and um and so yeah that kind of influenced the way that i treat uh so i feel like i'm using that part of my brain when doing osteopathy which is why i always felt very drawn to it as a method of healing and why i specialized in it very wow. dr king can i can i just ask you can you give us an example of how sound how you perceive shapes with sound. Yeah. Um, it's so, so like certain sounds I'm like, Oh, that's, that's super round and really pink or like that sound is definitely jagged and like a lightning bolt or like, you know, so it's, it's not that I visually see it. I just like feel what it's trying to convey. Um, which is super fun because I could be listening to like dubstep and creating a piece and it's very expressive in that regard. And then I'm listening to like reggaeton and it has a totally different vibe and flow to it. And it's, um, I just get out of the way. So I just kind of let the, that perception and sensation kind of flow through what my interpretation is with as little, I'm trying to really control it as little as possible. So it's very stream of consciousness, so to speak. Um, but in the way I've, I kind of translated that into the way I treat, you know, I have the foundations of, you know, counter strain and muscle energy and, you know, all these other techniques we use, but 
um, I often combine them on the fly uh, when I treat and I'm, students are like, wait, what technique was that? And I was like, I don't know. I just kind of made it up on the spot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just kind of, I'm doing jazz, but it's like osteopathic jazz. But um, oh, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of why I felt so comfortable with it is like, I always felt weird in lab because it's too structured for me. <laughs> and I always like staying after lab and like treating other students and trying stuff out that I thought made sense because I've always been really into biomechanics and fitness as well, just as like another uh, interest. So um, I used that anatomy knowledge to then improvise while I treat. So I thought that was, that's just kind of how I've always treated. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you're a, like osteopathy is an incredible fit for you. <laughs> I felt like I was meant to do it. Honestly, like I just felt like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like it was really yeah. cool that I found that, you know, not, not everyone does. And I just feel lucky. So. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. Go ahead, Jordan. If you got some other questions. Um, oh man. I, I'm just fascinated by like the, <laughs> the synesthesia side of things and the way that you use both like, right and left brain the analytic and the creative and mm -hmm. i think that in and of itself is kind of a lost art um where so many people get pegged into like i just want the numbers i just want the data i just want the facts um, yeah. and lose the ability to synthesize and create something new out of it yeah i've always felt most comfortable there like i actually feel so weird dealing with numbers and like structure and yeah. school school was never a good fit for me I feel like I should have totally been homeschooled and stuff but you know I went to public schools and it was very hard to manage with teachers so my, my mom actually came in to work with my teachers and figuring out strategies there's a funny story where um, they figured out a method of uh, giving me a happy face stickers or or stamps it was a happy face stamp every class that I behaved well this was in first grade um, and you know, you redeem the stamps for points. Great system. You know, I could get, you know, candy or like toys or whatever with it. I was the only kid who they did this with. Um, and of course I found out the stamp at the store zany brainy. I found out the stamp they were using and I started to counterfeit the tokens. Um, and they were just like, yeah, this, this isn't going to work. He's like, he's like counterfeiting tokens now. Um, so I would always find like a flaw in the system, but. I was, I was just a very, um, I always wanted to do things my way. And, and so I feel like um, the fact that osteopathy really can embrace that, it was, was really refreshing for me where, you know, a lot of other fields are way more kind of rigid in the standard of care and structure and what's, you know, deemed like correct, so to speak. So, yeah. Hmm. I'm just going to go with this, uh, the flow of the conversation here. How do you combine your knowledge of anatomy, right? So muscles have an origin and insertion, innervation, and we're typically taught, you know, the biceps is going to help you flex at the elbow. Um, but then we also have this fascial system. So how do you combine kind of a very structured, rigid anatomy Maybe if you talk about skeletal muscle, maybe it's a little bit more rigid um, as far as how the skeletal muscle contracts and moves our body through space. But maybe it gets a little bit more nebulous when you talk about the myofascial system. Like, how do you combine your 
your art, your knowledge of biomechanics, your knowledge of anatomy into an osteopathic treatment? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, um, luckily for me, it doesn't take much effort because I'm really thinking less while doing the treatments and almost thinking more before and after. So before I see a patient, I'm like, okay, where are we at? You know, what's their history? Um, what are their, you know, surgical, what's their surgical history? Are we dealing with a pre-op, post-op, acute chronic injury? And so that's when I really analyze the situation and go in. But when I'm actually in the doing of it, like when I'm, you know, actively treating, um, I'm trying to really respect the fact that this individual person is just here in this room with me at this specific time and place, uh, you know, with this specific level of hydration and nutrition and sleep and with like, I'm trying to meet that person where they are in that exact moment, um, which I think is really cool with osteopathy is like the, the physics standpoint, more of like on the quantum level of two biological systems uh, trying to organize and fight chaos is essentially what we're trying to do and generate a healing response. So I, I really, you know, I respect the anatomy um, and uh, where that person has, you know, different anatomical variances. Uh, but in the, in the moment, really, I'm just trying to be as fluid as possible in terms of allowing my hands to tell me what's going on more than my brain telling my hands, you know, what to do. Um and, but there's this interplay of like your hands palpating and, and sensing and then you trying to get out of the way, but then you don't want to get out of the way too much because, you know, you do have to really come back to thinking about, okay, why are we here, right? Like, what is the goal? Um, but of course, as you get deeper into cranial work and um, biodynamic work, getting completely out of the way could honestly be really good. So it's this interplay between your consciousness and, and the patients and really sensing that based on both verbal and nonverbal cues. Um, and I think for me, that's why being so sensitive to sensory stimuli is, is helpful because I'm catching a lot of things that the patient might not even realize they're telling me um, on this, you know, separate level uh, through nonverbal communication or just fluid communication. So I know that's a long answer, but <laughs> that's kind of yeah, it. yeah. So, so is it kind of this respectful approach to the patient in front of you, and and letting their body, and well, not only their body, their whole persona, kind of yeah. guide you to what they need as an individual. Yeah, and I really learned a lot of that through um, acupuncture fellowship in my Eastern medical training because it's very very humanistically and, and kind of like organically oriented in terms of reading someone as, are they more fire? Are they water? Are they metal? You know, are they woody? Um, and then you lay that over your, you know, Western training of the, the, the hardcore anatomy, the, their neuroanatomy, their muscular anatomy, um, their meds, you know, what their labs are showing, what their imaging is showing. Um, but yeah, I would say like where I always gravitate towards is like the, the extremely humanistic portion of just like, you know, what's this person feeling like today? You know, maybe today is not going to be a needle day for them. Maybe we're just going to do some BLT like everywhere. Maybe this person is needs muscle energy all over the place, or maybe we need to combine a bunch of things. So, yeah. Interesting. I have um, a question for you. Yeah. 
with um the kind of what i hear you describing being very like adaptable fluid and and just kind of what does the patient need in the moment mm-hmm. um do you have any practical advice for um the concept of like still staying grounded while you're you're treating someone um i was having a conversation with a colleague today actually just about how sometimes you can get almost too caught up in someone else's system yeah. and you to get out of touch with yourself and um what are your yeah. thoughts on that um honestly it sounds really cliche and like whatever but but breathing um i find when when i'm too caught up in what i'm doing or when i'm like getting lost in it i literally like forget to breathe like holding my breath or just um you know just not paying attention to to either my my posture or my setup and and i so when i find myself doing that i literally just focus on my breath for a moment um and even just try to tune in to almost like as much CRI as you can tune into yourself, like really kind of tapping in. Um, and that just has taken, you know, it, it's taken me years of like meditative practice to, to be able to do that as readily as, as possible. Because I know before I started my like meditation journey, which is a whole other thing, um, I would, I was just kind of like mindless. So to, like, you know, I wasn't able to check in with myself. I didn't know how, but this is kind of more, like in college when I had issues with stress and anxiety and all this stuff. So, but the breath I feel like is, is always key. Hmm. I like how, how important Dr. King is it for us as osteopathic manipulative medicine specialists or ONMM specialists to find inner peace, you know, and like kind of what Jordan was saying, being, grounded finding inner peace knowing how to calm our mind and calm our spirit through maybe square breathing and coming into that parasympathetic autonomic nervous system and and just being good people in summary you know yeah healthy holy if you want to use that word in tune with your body because we're putting our hands on people and you know we're getting in their individual space and they're they're allowing us kind of into their lives in a very um in a, sometimes in a very real way you know not oh, only yeah. physically but even emotionally I, how important is it for us to be to be grounded and and know ourselves i um i always come back to this analogy of like would you ever want a surgeon to cut you with a dull scalpel or like a rusty scalpel or, you know, our bodies and our minds as osteopaths are, are the tools that we're using. Right. So I, and if those tools are suboptimal, then your treatments will probably be suboptimal as well. So, and, and, you know, none of us are perfect, obviously, like we all have our imperfections and, and tendencies, but I think as long as they're striving towards um, buffering up those weak points, like for me, it can totally be like getting, you know, stressed out or anxious or what have you because you know i have a lot of sensory sensitivities i have to make sure i'm taking those days to mentally decompress and just do the things i really like to do you know getting regular exercise hydration um 
I think it's super important and even maybe more important for us than a lot of other specialties because our bodies are the tools that we're using. Um, and so if you want to treat, you know, I think on average, I see 15 to 20 patients a day and they're, you know, all procedural, right? Whether I'm doing needlework or OMT, um, you will inevitably get fatigued because of, you know, the physical nature of it, but you can be less fatigued if you're doing the routine maintenance of, you know, getting to the gym, staying hydrated, um, mentally taking care of yourself. Um, and, uh, luckily for me, I I'm very energized by people. So it's almost like this kind of positive cycle. Like the more patients that are grateful to see me and get treated, it's like the more jazzed I am about treating people. So, Mm -hmm. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I think it's extremely important. How would you, how do you enhance your spirit? Well, let me, let me back up. How mm -hmm. would you distinguish between, you know, we talk about the triad of the person is this mm -hmm. triad of mind, body, spirit. How do you distinguish mind and spirit is my first question. Mm -hmm. And the second question is, what do you do in your day-to-day -day routine to enhance or grow your spirit? It's a paradox. I think, uh, you know, as we love to say, body, mind, body, and spirit, it, I think they're all the same thing. Um, I don't think, you know, in one way or another, consciousness does not wholly separate them within itself. I think consciousness is mind, body, and spirit uh, represented almost as like a projection of our sensation. So um, for me, it always comes back to, uh, I mean, meditation has been a huge thing in my life to help me with, you know, self-realization, self-actualization, looking at behind the veil of my perceived thoughts and, and what the ego is wanting me to do and say and act all the time. So um, I think that a lot of times uh, we say like mind, body and spirit and think of them as these three separate things combining into a whole thing. But I almost think in the reverse that like those th three things are the same thing, but it's a matter of framing if you're trying to contextualize ways of talking about the specific aspect of that one thing, like the mind aspect of the human or, or the, mm -hmm. so it's a spectrum. And I think the difference between mind and spirit, I think mind is more of the active form of enacting consciousness on like the world around us. And I think spirit is the more perceptual form and and uh, almost maybe maybe not subconscious, but like the more ethereal form of um, the feeling behind what the mind uh, wants to try to do. I think spiritually for me, identifying with some kind of expression of your soul, so to speak. So really embodying a flow state, I think is super important for spirit development. So. For me, flow state can be engaged with um, exercise, certainly, is what I do very frequently on as much as I can. Um, and then creating art is another really huge way. So whatever that flow state is for you, I think, is the best way to buffer up spirit. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I, like that. I like that idea of the mind, body, and spirit is not, they're not separate entities. You know, it's, they all seem to be intimately i mean intimately linked in the persona would you say though that when someone comes to you with discomfort of any kind mm -hmm. there there seems to be 
one of those three that is more in the driver's seat of the oh yeah yeah oh yeah for sure and and it's so fascinating how it differentiates between the person like um and and this ties in with physical iq emotional iq um you know, those kind of representations of, you know, who's in the driver's seat to kind of use your analogy, which I, I really like because some people are fully PQ, like physically driven. Uh, they could get hit by a truck and still be walking around the next week and be like, yeah, I'm fine. And like you have you, you see so many somatic dysfunctions, you can't even see straight. And you're like, you're fine. Like, dude, like you, I feel so much strain pattern here. Um, and then you have the other the other side where someone's like, very eq heavy you know they're totally affected by changes in barometric pressure and weather their moods you know can really affect their joints and things like that so so yeah i think you know in just the way people have experienced life based on on top of their genetic expression to me it's like totally fascinating and that's why i think just being in a humanistic profession is it keeps me very interested because people are just so different and um yeah, I just I just love that kind of difference in, in people. So, yeah, how in, in your patient encounters, how do you kind of tease that up, tease that out? Are they more of the PQ or more of the EQ? Yeah, I I kind of just it's like a gestalt where you're just like I spend the first like a new patient visit. I just spend like the first at least five to ten minutes just just sitting down and being like, hey, what's up? Like. Nice to meet you. I'm Dr. King. What brings you in here? How'd you hear about us? So, you know, tell me about yourself, you know, and I just try and keep it open-ended and sometimes they'll get right to it. Be like, Oh yeah, my shoulder hurts. I need some help with that. Da, 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 da. Sometimes they'll be like, Oh yeah. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm from the area. I found you through a friend. Da, da, da. And so I'll kind of let them guide the, the interaction. And then I use that interaction to unpack like, okay, how, how fast do they want, you know, how, quick and fast do they want me to fix this do we need to do injections right off the bat can we take things slower you know i let them kind of drive so to speak um and then you know i just gain a sense of their history and then i try to unpack what what kind of traumas are they directly telling me about or not directly telling me about so i i essentially view myself as like a somatic psychiatrist in a way and that's why i have a lot Mm -hmm. of psych residents rotate with me um, they're often shocked at like how much psych i do even though i'm not you know specifically trained i i've kind of found my niche in and tying in a lot of the psychological aspects to how it affects you know the physical form so yeah that's really fascinating you probably read dr vanderkirk's book the oh, body King, yeah or... i love the cover of that book by the way it's a great really cool cover yeah i love it oh, i haven't paid attention much to the cover yeah it's it's like an abstract um piece um why am I forgetting the name right now? But um, but yeah, I just it's like that blue cover with like the stars yeah. and the, it's just I just like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really that's fascinating because. Sorry, Jordan, I'm asking so many questions. No, this is good. <laughs> oh, good. You know, that's I, that has been a constant struggle of mine throughout residency is that I feel like, you know, I, I, I love my education here at Michigan State University. We're very biomechanically driven, mm-hmm. and I, I have always wondered how do I address 
this EQ component where I believe yeah. that there is a lot of trauma yeah. that is manifesting in the soma, in the physical body. And I, I'm not sure what my role is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if I should address it, and if I should address it, how? Yeah. Well, for me, it's, that's, for me, that's where the acupuncture came in. Um, You know, my grandfather was an acupuncturist and I always had an interest in that because it's very uh, energetically driven in terms of things that are tough to change manually. Um, You know, so you target a lot of these really clinically passed down autonomic points uh, in the body to hit that, you know, autonomic reset button from the inside out. So that's where the needles can help. But also too, just literally just talking to someone through, through a situation or through a diagnosis that other physicians haven't really had the time to just sit and chat with them about. Like I had a patient today, you know, fibromyalgia diagnosis. She was just so confused. You know, she came to me and she was saying, she's like, you know, I think I'm broken. And I was like, broken? Like, what do you mean broken? And she was like, well, you know, I've had so much pain all over for so long and they can't find anything on the scans. And yeah, they say I have fibromyalgia, but I don't even know what that means. And I'm just confused. And I told her, like, you're not broken. Like, your system is just very sensitive to pain, painful stimuli. And that's just how you are made. And that's how you... Uh, are built genetically and it's nothing to be you know ashamed or afraid of it's just the fact so we gotta you know work through it together and figure out how can how can we come to terms with you know having this supposed diagnosis and the fact that we talked about that she said actually decreased her pain levels like uh, by a lot so Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that conversation can have a lot of power and and it was literally just a five-minute conversation at the end of one of our treatments so yeah, I feel like that's so powerful. How many patients live in their bodies with incredible fear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they don't understand their diagnosis. Yeah. And they think they're broken. Yeah. When she said that, I felt like, oh, I'm like, that That must feel terrible, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're so right. Like how powerful our words are as physicians um, super way more powerful than I think people realize, you know, even, even our gestures, the way we act, the way we, you know, yeah, you know, interact and even the nonverbal cues too. like people really, really trust their doctors. So if you're having a bad day and, you know, kind of shrug somebody off, they're going to remember that, you know? Right. Yeah. That's true. Jordan, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I I'm trying to think how to ask this question. I guess with like with the the psychosomatic overlap. Yeah. How do you navigate like what you want to lean into when you're treating a patient or how do you like even if it's a conversation or, or you're saying you're you're palpating and doing your your screens and you're like I'm really not finding a lot of somatic dysfunction but they're in a lot of pain. How mm-hmm. do you go about like steering a conversation? um to address and maybe ultimately get some sort of psychosomatic release um when i'm thinking of this type of patient um i typically will focus a lot on fluid dynamics and like cri because those patients will typically have like a pretty pretty diminished or compressed um sbs so of course you know talking about the sphenobasilar syngondrosis and the 
cranial mechanism is where I'll often like get drawn to for patients like that who don't have like these glaring global dysfunctions. Um, you know, I think the flow of my treatments, I, I'm someone who really loves to start down at the feet and work my way up until I get to the, the cranium. So I'll have cleared the sacrum first. And then uh, once I get up to the cranium, I just, and, and that's really where I just let my hands do the talking to my head. So you know, get into vault hold or Becker hold is where I like to start. And then um, just kind of, I'm one of the uh, look out the window people. So I'll just kind of like look out the window at the trees and see what the weather's doing. And then I'll start feeling things moving and shifting. And then, um, you know, a lot of times the person will just kind of be really quiet and still and see if we need to do any CV4 or other techniques. But um, yeah, on those patients, just kind of like, getting your hands onto their head and letting your systems communicate, I feel like is a really therapeutic way to, to allow their stuff to start to come off or those layers to peel off. Interesting. All right. Did you have anything else, Jordan, you wanted to ask Dr. King? Um, I mean, the other questions I was, I was might be kind of a switch in, in direction here. Uh, but with Kind of your background at um, Rowan Virtua, and it sounds like you're a professor and you're also doing some research there. Yeah. Um, do you want to share any um, anything about your projects? Yeah, I've got some cool projects we're um, waiting to hear back on publishing, but um, we're starting to create objective measurements for different osteopathic techniques using the Myoton Pro. Have you guys heard of this device? No, I haven't. Yeah. So the Myoton Pro, it's a device from Europe, I believe, but it essentially measures um, different tissue texture changes. So can measure, you know, stiffness, elasticity, many different things. I think about five or six different measurements. And what you do is you hold it up against the tissue and it does five quick probes of the tissue. And it's a very light, like touch, like it's almost like the pressure sensors they use for your eyeball where you kind of look away and then it taps your eye really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so we have the, this Myoton Pro device. And what we've been doing is, uh, you know, doing, let's say our first one was thoracic myofascial release for a minute. And uh, we measured pre and post, and you can literally see objective changes in the tissue. So um, that's one project. And it's a pretty big one because we want to do it for like as many techniques as we can for as many body regions. But um, so really trying to find the objective best technique, let's say, for like uh, stiffness versus how to make something more elastic, what technique's better for that. And so um, that's one cool project I'm working on. Um, another one I'm formulating is um, Vicaria ear seeds for uh, anxiety and depression, which is ear acup acupressure for students. So, yeah, mm -hmm. those are a couple two projects there. Weren't you doing a, a project with the Hypervolt? Yeah, I was actually a consultant for them when they were starting out uh, a few years ago. Um, so that that I haven't done as much lately, but I was looking at, uh, you know, percussive effects on tissue and things like that. It was a little hard because the Hypervolt, I think, is a totally different type of percussion compared to the, the Fordham percussors that you know, osteopaths are typically used to. Um, mm -hmm. I really actually prefer the Fordham. I think the Hypervolt packs a lot of punch. Um, and the Fordham has a more diffuse uh, wave, vibratory wave, which I really like with human tissue. So 
Um, maybe the hyperfold's really good for pro athletes who have like a ton of muscle on them. <laughs> but I find for your typical patient, like the Fordham is like awesome for uh, correcting a lot of somatic dysfunction. So, but yeah, I was I was pretty interested in percussion. I'd say during my residency. Yeah, going back to the the Myotone Pro and yeah. I think tissue textures and trying to figure out what is a proper OMT modality to use. That's that has been a, a real question for me because a lot of times it seems like osteopathic manipulation is a little bit of trial and error as far as yeah. if you think that what the driver of this person's discomfort is mm-hmm. actually tissues of their body, then how to choose the modality. And we were talking to Dr. Styles, actually, Jordan and I last yeah. night. And he was saying, well, if, if it's an acute injury, I would do more indirect techniques. Yeah. If it's more of a tight muscle, then I would probably do a muscle energy technique. Mm-hmm. If I felt a really hard end field, I would probably do HVLA. What, what are your thoughts on how to, how to figure out what is the best OMT modality to use to treat the patient in front of me? Yeah, that's a good point. And that's why I think um, I tend to combine a, like a bunch of different techniques. So um, I also, I, I'm also always asking, you know, how do you feel with this? Or does it feel good for, you know, what you're going through? And a lot of patients will just tell me like, oh yeah, I really like that, you know, direct um, pressure you're doing or, oh yeah, that stretch feels great. So I use the, a lot of their feedback, but um, I, I also like to try out, like, like I mentioned too, a, a lot of times I'm combining a lot of techniques at once. So yeah. a lot of what I do um, essentially kind of looks like still technique with a lot of like direct pressure and doing, mm-hmm. sometimes doing counter strain with some direct pressure and just like things that, um, honestly, I find difficult to categorize sometimes, but, <laughs> but, but at the end, it's like, I recheck and this, this functions are gone. So I'm like, I guess that works. Um, but, but I would say a combination of like patient feedback, but also, um, kind of letting my hands tell me what they need. It's, it's hard to describe when I'm in the zone, like treating like that. But, mm-hmm. but I'd say I would agree with Dr. Styles is like, certainly you can tell when there's like a stuck facet and you're like, ah, I just got to like pop this thing open kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think with HVLA, that's, it's like the easy, almost one of the easier things to tell when you need to utilize it. Same with counter strain. You, you just find a distinct point. You're like, all right, I'm going to fold and hold this thing and it's going to be better. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of body regions, you just kind of know are going to respond really well to like certain styles of technique. Like, you know, for psoas is like a mm, ton of the time I'm counter straining psoas and piriformis. Um, I find a lot of, you know, lumbar paraspinal erector tissue. It can respond to some direct, um, you know, soft tissue and deep inhibition and FDM. But a lot of times I'll treat the viscera and the low back actually lets up. So, um, you, you end up learning your own like little tricks here and there along the way of, you know, what techniques work really well for what body regions and what kind mm-hmm. of tissue texture, you know, changes your feeling work best with certain techniques that actually you're good at because I, it always comes down to like 
the interaction of provider and and patient where you know maybe you're really good at h this specific type of hvla but not so good with this blt and you know mm-hmm. so it's it's always tough because everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses um and and how they like to treat and sequence so it's it's totally an art form i think which is why i was so drawn to it i just love how it's like very fluid as we mentioned mm-hmm. a lot yeah yeah how do you determine when to use acupuncture yeah that's a great question too i think um a lot of it is like is like my gut instinct with certain people of course you have the patient who's like i came to you for acupuncture can we start with that i'm like yeah sure let's do it you know <laughs> so it's sometimes it's like you know, can be appeasing in a way but um but a lot of times too, if you're going with what the patient is is looking for in in a treatment, they're gonna find a lot of success because of not just like a placebo effect, but they feel like they have a say in their care, and they're often pleased mm-hmm. when you um, kind of acknowledge that. So I think a lot of times it's patient informed, but I think for me it's like again, it's this sense of knowing what types of complaints and treatments. Um, acupuncture can be really good for, you know, for example, like IBS, like uh, it's tough to treat IBS with OMT. I mean, you can certainly do it, but I think with just three needles, I can fix like IBS within 15 minutes, like almost hundred percent of the time. So a lot of times, like, uh, certain things like chronic migraine, for example, like I've literally cured people's chronic migraines who've had them for like decades with a single acupuncture treatment, just with the right needle points. So you kind of learn which, um, you know, which dysfunctions pathologies respond really well to just well-placed acupuncture needles versus osteopathic treatment and which people need a combination of the two. Um, anyone I'm trying to do a hard parasympathetic reset on, I have my own acupuncture protocol for that, you know, that, literally will shut them down and make them sleep for like 10 hours that night. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, I just kind of go with my instinct and and my experience with it. And how do you determine when to use electrical stimulation with the acupuncture versus not? Yeah, that's, that's another uh, thing I learned in fellowship was yin versus yang. So, you know, you have uh, yin, which is the more chronic-y, you know, um, lack of energy type of side and then you have the young which is very acute high energy so a lot of times chronic injuries um i'll use the electrical input because you're adding more energy to an area you're literally pumping it with electrons so that i find is really good for things that are very chronic more orthopedic in nature and then for any acute injuries or for things that i'm trying to treat more functionally let's say like a patient with fibromyalgia or with like a, a headache that's happening right now, I'll a lot of times just put the needles in and let them, you know, do a dispersion treatment, which is kind of the other side, more rebalancing the electrons rather than pumping them into the system. So that's kind of how I think about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'll be doing a sports medicine fellowship um, next year and we actually get to learn acupuncture. Now I'm more excited. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Acupuncture mm-hmm. is I love it. I really do. It's the perfect extension of osteopathy and and being an OMM specialist, I think. Yeah. So you would highly recommend OMM residents to get trained in it. I I definitely think so. Because I, you know, in my, you know, experience as a student, a lot of the OMM docs I shadowed, they just all did Aki fellowships because they found it was a great extension of 
of their hands and what they could accomplish in terms of the breadth of uh, people you can treat and help. So, um, yeah, I highly recommend it. If you had to like describe how having an osteopathic background, whether it's philosophy or palpation training, how does that specifically enhance your acupuncture effectiveness? I think you can detect the points with relative ease because you already know, you know, how to palpate the anatomy in a fine-tuned way. And to know which points to choose, often you need to feel those different tissue texture changes within those cleavages where, you know, the the extracellular fluid does flow. And that's really what you're targeting are all these meridian channels, which is essentially fascial cleavage planes. Uh, And so when you're palpating and you notice the patient flinch or like, you know, they're like, Oh, and, and you just are like, yep, that's a point we got to do. And you can certainly use just pressure as well, like acupressure um, for those points. But I think it's, it's literally like the perfect foundation for becoming a master acupuncturist. Cause when I was in fellowship, you know, there was like 40 docs, 35 MDs and five DOs. And I was, you know, the resident in the fellowship with all these attendings. And I was the only OMM, uh, you know, practitioner there. Well, not practitioner, but the only one specializing in OMM. And I picked it up so quickly. And I was actually like tutoring the rest of the class and a lot of other docs because I I already had the landmarks down and I had that palpatory, um, that palpatory ability down. So a lot of people are like having to learn that on top of the acupuncture, which is just a lot to take in. So I think, um, yeah, I think it was just the perfect combination. Dr. King, are you familiar at all with the fascial distortion model? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, one of our providers who just joined, he's from, uh, West Virginia. So, um, uh, did their residency. He does a lot of FDM. So yeah, yeah, I'm definitely familiar. Do you see any overlap with, like acupressure and FDM? Yeah, I think FDM is um, maybe maybe a more force, like a higher force vector form of acupressure. A lot of acupressure can be quite gentle and be actually um, performed in like longer spans of time more frequently throughout the day. So I think FDM is like a supercharged version almost of like acupressure kind of. So but it's like moving, right? Because so, you're following, a lot of times you're like following a specific band, for example. Um, so I think it's interesting. Once you learn kind of different medical languages, you realize like they totally overlap in what they call things. So like what someone calls like a star trigger band or something, it's like, you know, following the gallbladder meridian that's expre- expressing a lot of young characteristics. So it's just like, you can just kind of label things totally differently, but you're talking about the same phenomenon. Yeah, that is interesting. It's, I, I was reflecting on that a while back and just how we're all in some way, shape or form kind of coming to the same conclusions about things or coming, or we're, we're noticing the same patterns or themes, um, but we just decided to give it a different name and treat yep. it. But do you do much dry needling or do you stick pretty much to the acupuncture OMT? I'd say I do a fair amount of dry needling. Um, I think if I'm going to dry needle something, it's I might actually just kind of do stim on that area uh, to just release it over a 15 minute, 20 minute period. Um, 
So I would say dry needling I do, let's say I'm like on the sideline and I need to do something quick. And like, if I'm really limited by time, I think dry needling is great. Um, a lot of time I'll actually do it pre trigger point injection. So I'll actually use the hypodermic needle to do a little quick dry needle and then, and then inject. Um, so I think dry needling is essentially you're using the same tool. You're using an acupuncture needle to achieve that fasciculation response, um, and definitely useful. But I think my style is more, can be more long form unless I'm like, you know, trying to get results fast, which, you know, could be necessary in certain situations. Do you find that with OMT, with using acupuncture and sometimes stimulation on your acupuncture, as well as dry needling, you do less prolotherapy or regenerative treatments? Yeah, I actually would say I was doing the most regenerative medicine when I was fully private before Rowan uh, coming right out of residency. We had, you know, a PRP centrifuge and a lot of prolo. We had uh, even ozone um, and a lot of other unique types of regenerative medicine. But I'd say now, since I'm part of a big uh, group, I think we have like 12 docs or something. And we have a couple of physiatrists who do a lot of ultrasound guided uh, injections. I really trust them more with doing the regenerative medicine. So I kind of now I found my my lane and I just kind of like refer out for those procedures, but still within our office. Got it. Yeah. If, if you were out on your own, though, let's say you had your own practice and you were by yourself, do you think you would maybe do less regenerative medicine because of OMT and acupuncture dry needling? Or do you think not so much? I think, um, you know, I do have yeah. a, a Saturday practice, but I think just for me, I like to do what I know I'm really good at and, and kind of, I'm, I'm very satisfied with the results I can get just doing OMM and acupuncture without having to invest a lot in like, you know, a centrifuge for PRP and like dextrose for prolo and like all these other things. Cause I have a solid network of people who I trust and refer to like, Got if, it. And who do those way more often than I do. So I am somewhat a jack of a, a few trades, but not all of them. So I like yeah. to kind of keep, you know, do often what I like to do and get good at that and kind of keep stay in my lane with that stuff. Sure. That's great. Jordan, did you have any other questions? Um, you know, I, I feel like I just want to pick your brain about, everything osteopathic and just <laughs> yeah i mean if i'm always available so if we need to do a round two i'm here <laughs> I, I i have a question for yeah. you we can end with this we're coming up on an hour yeah man that you know, was you <laughs> what's that i said that was quick we could do it like a joe rogan uh episode like for four hours sometime <laughs> yeah <laughs> really real fast yeah was the same problem with dr styles we were talking for like an hour and a yeah, half like yeah. just getting started mm -hmm. um so my question you're 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 teaching medical students mm -hmm. at rowan and uh you've worked with different residents and what what advice would you have for osteopathic medical students who i don't know maybe are kind of dragging their feet going to osteopathic or omm lab those who maybe aren't interested in using it 
which maybe is fine. You know, not everybody's interested in cardiology or, or nephrology, and maybe that's okay. But what advice do you have for osteopathic medical students in relation to our profession of ONMM? I think, you know, I think that, of course, it's not for everyone, just like how I really didn't drive with nephrology. Like, I was like, this is boring. But I think um, it, it is such a useful tool just as, as another human being, let alone like a physician. But I think it's very valuable to learn how to utilize your 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 hands to whether or not you're like good at OMM, at least you can learn to harness the power of human touch and palpation to, to be that like next level of physician of not just being a doctor, but being an actual healer, which is, isn't that the point of learning all this stuff is like, you want to help another human being and, and human beings are very tactile and respond a lot to touch, especially um, coming from someone they respect, like their medical provider. So even if you don't like OMM, just use it as an opportunity to learn how to provide therapeutic touch for another person, showing them that you actually care about their well-being because isn't that why we're in this business? I mean, unless you're, you know, purely doing pathology and, and or radiology and are never even in the room with a patient, that's okay too. But um, if you're if you're not, if you're clinical and you're actually face to face with a patient, um, just actually knowing that and having that as a skill, uh, I think is is really valuable, regardless if you ever bill for OMM or do it uh, clinically at all. At, at the very least, you can treat your friends and family on the weekends or like if someone hurts themselves, you're like, yeah, I'm a DO. Maybe I can, you know, brush up on my skills uh, to treat my mom or something who fell and you know, maybe provide some something in that regard. So that's what I would say. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for your time, being so generous with your time. I know you've got a very busy practice. You have a wife and I think a few cats at home. And a dog um, and a baby coming. <laughs> baby, congratulations. Yeah, having a girl in May. Yeah, very excited. That's super exciting. Oh, that's yeah. super exciting. But yeah, you know, we're really honored to, to have you in our profession. I love your philosophy of medicine and your philosophy of osteopathy and um yeah i think you'd just be an incredible physician or you are an incredible physician so thanks so much thank you thank you thank you yeah of course thanks for having me guys this was really fun uh hopefully people out there could learn some stuff and uh yeah. hit me up if anyone has questions or if i can help you, can i can i include your email in the show notes yeah yeah of course and any plugs that you want to make? I know you've got a YouTube channel. Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel. I, I haven't posted in a long time, but I would say um, I'm more like active on my Instagram and just like posting here and there stuff I'm doing. Um, I have a private office that people can see me on the weekends at or if they'd rather use insurance, they can see me at Rowan, although my wait list is pretty long. But, um, you know, there's always a way to connect with me. If you ever have questions, you can send me a DM or uh or a message. Um, and yeah, I'm always just happy to help uh, try and offer any advice or tips if people have them, have any questions. What is your Instagram? Um, it's at uh, dr.alex.king and doctor is spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R. And uh, you should see my face pop up when you type it in. Cool. 
Okay. Thanks so much, Dr. King. Have a great evening. All right, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again. This is fun. And uh, let me know if you, we got to do a round two sometime. Yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, guys. All right. You guys okay. have a great night. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. King and took away some pearls for your practice. If you would like to reach out to him, you may email him at dralexking at gmail.com. Follow him on Instagram at dr.alex.king. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to be on the podcast, please email the podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Be well, be curious, and spread osteopathy.